Um, we're also here to, you know, to look into the Word and, and allow the Word to touch us and allow God to communicate to us specifically. I find it very, I, it, it, it amuses me in a good way, not in a bad way, but it amuses me that, that there's times, I've heard it multiple times over the years that people will say stuff like, do you, do you like, do you troll my Facebook page and then preach messages about my stuff, you know? Because uh, some of the things, you know, that, that God lead, leads us to talk about, they hit every single one of us, you know. And, and, and some people are convinced that, that we can have more intel into their lives. But that's not the case. It's, it's the Holy Spirit, you know, connecting with each and every one of us and has a word for each and every one of us. And today we're going to, uh, for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking into James and then get ready, man. We're, a couple of weeks, man, we're going to strap it on and head for Christmas, right? So we'll start our Christmas series uh, right after Thanksgiving. So uh, what's that, about three more weeks? So we have about three more weeks uh, that we'll spend in James. So we're going to kind of pick out a couple things because we can't hit them all from James. But this has been, this, James is just a great book that talks about spiritual maturity, you know? As Christians, as Christ followers, as children of, of Him, are we growing? You know, that's God's, that's God's number one desire for our lives. Are we growing more into His image uh, of, of His Son, Jesus Christ? So if you would, please turn with me to James chapter 2. And we're going to look at uh, another facet of, of what James talks about when it comes to um, being mature, in, being mature, being spiritually mature, and also, I think, a church being spiritually mature, okay? Um, and it talks about favoritism. So in chapter 2, if you would, in, in James chapter 2, there's Bibles in the back of the pew in front of you. Please grab one. Uh, again, James is right before, a couple books before Revelation, a couple doors down. Uh, if you go to Revelation, you're going to run into, and keep going, you're going to run into James. Right after, uh, right, yeah, after Hebrews or before Hebrews, whichever way you're going. So, anyhow. Uh, James chapter 2, he says this, My brother, and I'm going to read from the uh, New American Standard. He says, My brethren, do not hold your faith in our... Um, my brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal, of personal favoritism. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and into your assembly, or, uh, into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes, and you say, you sit here in a good place, and you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down, sit down by my footstool. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? Listen, my beloved brethren, do not, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which He promised to those who love Him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into the court? Do they not blaspheme in fair name by which you have been called? If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality and you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a transgressor, transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. 
For judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So, James is saying, you know, be, be, be careful not to show favoritism. Now, uh, let's take this a step further because, you know, how, what, how does this speak to us today? Now, you know, we could, we could show favoritism. We could show, you know, snobbery, you know, here at Element or whatever. And the English, the New English Bible calls it, uses the word snobbery, actually. You know, basically, don't be a snob. Now, many of us can probably relate to that a little bit better, right? Don't be a snob. I think we all, when I say that word, I think every single one of us knows exactly what a snob is, right? And what they do, what they look like, how they act, their body language, everything, right? The Greek word here literally means to receive and to face, okay? Not, not number two face, like two faces, but you're facing somebody, okay? It means to receive and you're facing somebody. So what it means is you receive somebody at face value. James is saying, don't receive someone at face... You don't know. Don't receive someone at just face value. Don't look at someone and draw a snap judgment. Don't look at someone and say, well, you know, I've got this all... You know, I've got them all figured out. I think we can all relate to that. We can all treat someone... You know, we could all become snobs. You know, some of us may struggle with it at times where we struggle with... We, 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 we feel like we're better than somebody else. And we kind of look at someone with this sense of... The contempt maybe or disdain or, or snobbery or whatever. But here's the fact. We don't know. A lot of times we don't know a lot of stuff. We're not God. We don't know, we're not, we don't know how multifaceted things are at times. And, and James is saying someone walks in, you have no clue. Just looking at them, you have no clue what they're about. You have no clue where they've been. You have no clue their journey. And I find it very amazing, you know, when we you know, just getting to know people in general. In my position, just getting to know people in general. And, getting in, and, and, then, and then even connecting with people like some 15, 20 years ago. Um, I was up at, uh, it's Meckley's, right? The, the, or, the orchard, is that right? Okay, thank you. One person has been there. Thank you, Tom. What is that, Flavor Fruit? Is that the name of it? Flavor Fruit. Thank you, Tom. So this is... <laughs> If we could tell these, it's a fine place, isn't it? It's, everybody ought to go there sometime, right? So anyhow, my wife and kids, are, we, we were there one, after, one afternoon, just, uh, yeah, it was really fun. They were off doing something. Les was uh, doing something. I was sitting at this picnic table, and um, somebody walked up, and he said, he said, Dale. And I was like, he says, or no, he says, you mind if I sit here? And I was sitting there waiting. And he says, you mind if I sit here and wait? And he goes, and he says, Dale. And I'm like, you mean Gail? And he's like, yeah. He says, Gail. He says, and he says his name, Dustin. Remember me? And I'm like, holy cow. This guy was, was, um, was a friend of someone who went to our church uh, when I pastored in Jackson. And this was back in 2000, 2001, 2002. X amount of years ago, he, he still remembered me. He's like, and, I, and I said, holy cow, I would have never picked you out in a crowd. I would have, I would have never, you know. So we get to talking, and, and then I remember, you know, he was telling me stuff. And he said, yeah, he said, he said uh, you know, I remember, and I, now I forget his son's name, but uh, I think it was Cameron or something. He said, you came up, uh, you were, there, you came up to the hospital and uh, visited my son. I think it was, he was at U of M. He had something, I can't remember what it was. It was something pretty significant that took place, a surgery. And, you know, 
And, and, this, and, and then we got Dustin to kind of play drums for us and kind of tried to pull him into the church from there. And, uh, and um, so this woman walks up, and I couldn't remember his wife's name, but he kind of said, well, you remember, you know, you remember my wife, we, we, you know, we divorced, and now, and he started down his journey with this woman, you know, start, started down this path trying to tell me about this woman and stuff, and you could tell, <laughs> it was one of those moments where you could tell it just became very awkward, and the more he went down this path, the more awkward he felt and she felt, because it was like, just think, it just, it was just awkward, you know, one of those moments, and I kind of chuckled, and I said, you know what, I said, we all are on journeys, aren't we? We are all on a journey. And it's like everybody has a story. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I don't mean that in a devaluing way. Every single person has a story. Every single person sitting in here has a story. Some of us, our stories, you know, maybe the chapters look pretty good. You know, the chapters are pretty clean. They look pretty good. Uh, You know, uh, it's it's a good book. You know what I mean? Some of us have a couple chapters we'd say, hmm, Let's leave that one out until after I pass away or something, you know. Let's, but, but, but we all have a story. And a lot of times, a lot of times, guys, our stories aren't so clean as what we think they, they should be. Because we're human, right? I'm not condoning things. I'm just simply saying we're human and many of our stories have some twists and turns that we're not proud of. And I think you, someone walks in, you have no clue where a person's been. You don't have any clue where a person's been. You may have a clue of where a person's been, but you don't know where they're at now. You know what I'm saying? And if we just look at someone and take a snap judgment of someone, it could be the worst thing we could ever do. And James is saying, don't do that. That is such superficial judgment. He's like, don't do it. And the good news, the good news uh, translation says it this way. Never treat anybody in a different way according to their outward, according to their outward appearance. You know, it's it's this common social disease. So, you know, it's the way we look at people. The second, you know, uh, it's the way we look at people. There's no favorites. We're not playing any favorites here. And so the the way we look at people, we can look at people in different ways. Number one, we can look at people by their appearance, okay? We can discriminate right off the bat because of their appearance. They may not dress like us. They may not look like us. They may not, um, you know, they may not... Um, measure up, you know, when you first give a glance, what it looks like. There was a study done, and there's been many studies done of the way people look, but it was like back in the, kind of back in the day when hitchhiking was still kind of a thing. Uh, they did an experiment about how, you know, like a psychological experiment about how people were dressed and who would get, who would get picked up for a ride and who wouldn't get picked up for a ride, you know? And common sense kind of says that, you know, we judge people by appearance, right? I mean, it, it just is. That's what took place. Here's one for you. So we do look at people uh, by appearance. We make, we make superficial judgments at times, uh, or we can. If you guys remember a guy by the name of John Wesley, right? Wrote a few songs here and there, okay? John Wesley formed a movement, um, and it was, they were called the Methodists, right? Because uh, he had a method, and his method, they, they were people who subscribed to it were called Methodists because this is how they did things. Do you know that John Wesley, and you had to be in a small group if you studied a little bit of John Wesley, if you were part of his, that, that kind of, his group, Methodist, whatever, uh, you, you, there was very strict things you had to do. You, you were part of a small group, and if you, weren't part, if you weren't part of a small group, you weren't one of them. But one of the things that he told them when they go to church, he forbid them to dress up. 
He forbid them to dress up. He told them, you wear common, you wear common folk, whatever, common folk um, attire. He said, because this is what it's about. And, and in that day, and just like our day, it kind of does the same thing. With the certain things we wear kind of um, communicates, which I'll talk about here in a minute, uh, how much money we've got, right? John Wesley said, no, we're not going to do that. You wear what you would wear just, you know, on a normal day. That's how you come to church. That's how you wear it because we don't want to judge people by appearance and things like that. And that's something that we can do. Another way we can do it is um, about where someone is from, okay? We judge people according to their race, their nationality, the, their ethnic background. We can do that in a heartbeat at times. We can look at someone and, and you know, they're not from here or whatever, and, and, we, and we can judge them. Another way is the way they look, where they're from, how old they are, right? Now, that doesn't mean how old they are on one end. I'm talking about across the spectrum, right? It seems like we can judge people how old they are regardless of how old they are. We can say someone's too old. We can say someone's too young. We can say, well, someone hasn't really experienced this or, well, you've experienced... I mean, it goes across the board. It's so jumbled up that there's... No, there's like everything we could say, we, you know, you're not old enough or you're too young or whatever. So we, we can judge people by their age. Another way we can do it is that um, based upon their accomplishments. Society gushes over winners and losers, right? I mean, if you, it, it, it just, you know, what you've accomplished, man, we can elevate people by, you know, it's like we think they're absolutely significant because of something they might have accomplished, that they've accomplished. Success and status are the key words when it comes to this. And then last, we can look at by what they've acquired. Their affluency. Their wealth. And that's probably one of the most common distinctions. We judge people by their wealth. And we look at this, you know, even this passage of Scripture, and we, we you know, extract out this rich and poor thing. By the way, remember, it's not a sin to be wealthy, correct? It's not a sin to be wealthy. That's not what Jesus taught. Jesus taught it was what? The love for money. It, being rich, there's nothing wrong with being rich. But it's when, we, when, when the money or the wealth takes over. And, and what happens is our faith, our, our security is, is, is placed, upon, placed upon that object then. So there's nothing wrong with being wealthy. But the problem is when we place our faith and trust into money. Okay? That's what Jesus, and money's one of the things that Jesus talked about probably more than anything else outside of heaven and hell. The love for money. So there's nothing wrong with being rich or poor. That's not what the distinction's made here. It's, it's we can have attitudes towards one or the other by just simply looking. We can have an attitude towards someone that has money if we don't have it. Or we can look, towards, we can look at someone who doesn't have money and we can make a snap judgment about that as well. Well, James is saying, you know what, it's not Christ-like. Out of the gate, it's not, it's not Christ-like. Favoritism is absolutely unchristian. Judging someone superficially, making a judgment, is absolutely unchrist-like. The word favoritism is used only four times in the Scripture, but every time, uh, or, or the other time, it's referring to God, and God, said, God does not play favorites. Romans 2.11, God does not show favoritism. Jesus was the mastermind with this, right? Jesus treated everybody with dignity. He treated everybody with dignity. Peter had to learn, learn this. Remember Peter's little story 
where he was uh, going to the house of Cornelius and he had this vision of this sheep being dropped down. Remember that whole story where he was a Jew and he couldn't eat certain things? And, and so he had, this, he, had this, uh, he had to learn this before he could go into the house of Cornelius. But God loves everybody. God absolutely loves everybody. He doesn't discriminate. He hates sin, yes, but He loves everybody. And the point of it is this. When we judge, it's not Christ-like because it's irrational. Favoritism is, unre- is unreasonable. In, fi- in, ch- in verses 5-7, through seven, it essentially says it's illogical. It doesn't make sense. It's illogical. In the first place, God's chosen the poor. You know, it says, has not God chosen the poor to be rich in faith and inherit the kingdom? In one translation. He's not saying that it's good to be poor. As I stated, it's not, it's not good to be poor and bad to be rich. He's not saying that only the poor will be saved. What he's saying is this. Don't confuse your self-worth with your net worth. And that's so easy for us to do at times. Don't confuse your net worth with your self-worth or vice versa. There is a huge difference when we do that. And so, James is saying it's illogical. If you do that, that is absolutely illogical because your self-worth is never, ever, ever based upon your net worth. The other thing that he says, it's not Christ-like because it's not just irrational, but it's also absent of love. And he gives you know, the primary reason in verse 8. He says, basically, it is absolutely unloving. When you make a judgment call by just looking at someone, you don't know every. You don't know everything about their story. You don't know where they've been. You don't know their journey. And it's extremely unloving. And he says that's why you shouldn't do it. He says, remember the royal law. That's not the royal law when you do that. Love your neighbor as yourself. When you love your neighbor as yourself, when you love other individuals as yourself, you're doing right. That's what the royal law is. Listen to what Paul writes in Galatians 5.14. He says all the law is summed up in one sentence. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbors as yourself. So if we play favorites, if we're a snob towards other people, if we make these snap judgments, we're being very unloving. That is not the royal law in which Jesus, uh, Jesus has, has stated this. First John 4.20 says this, If a man says he loves God and hates his brother, he's lying. How can you love God whom you haven't seen if you can't even love your brother that you see? That's a pretty big stretch, isn't it? I mean, that's where it hits us. That's where it hits home for us. How much we relate to each other is how much we really demonstrate our love, the, the love that we have for God. Favoritism is absolutely unloving. Being a snob, whatever we look at, it, snap judging people, whatever it is, is very, very unloving and is, is very unchristlike, absent of love, and irrational. So the question is this how do we treat people, right? How do we treat people? And by the way, this is very interesting because if you have a church, and this is, where, this is where statistics are starting to show that one of the biggest things that is attractive about a church and, and, and helping a church grow is how much loving people that church has. Meaning that it's extremely contagious when you have a church that loves people. Meaning that when you have people that, 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 that make up that church, if they are individuals that understand this, and they don't show favoritism. They look at everybody else kind of as themselves. They, they, they love other people. They, they, they um, respect other people. They appreciate other people. They, they understand that people have a journey themselves, and they're not going to snap judge people. 
That is one of the biggest things that helps grow a church. In fact, what they're finding out today is that is one of the, the, one of the top things. Before it used to be, you know, and it's, these things still have definitely impact in there. But when you start really analyzing it, the, a church growth, what they're finding is factors such as pastoral leadership, attractiveness of facilities, location, um, your theology, even your evangelical fervor, those types of things. Those things are absolutely important. But what they're finding out is, what they're seeing is, when churches are really growing, are the churches that are composed of people that are lovers of other people. They're loving people. And it's not loving people on your terms. It's loving people as the royal law. It's looking at other people as other individuals that God loves. There is a passage in the, in the New Testament, and I forget which gospel it is. I think it's in Matthew, and it's probably in uh, you know, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and the Synoptic Gospels, where Jesus has some really, really harsh, a harsh statement against calling someone else a fool. Remember that, remember that reading that? Where someone calls someone a fool, and he says, you need, you need to be very careful. He says, you need to be very careful who you call a fool. And basically what he's saying is this. God loves all people. And what you're doing is, you're taking it upon yourself to make a judgment call on someone else that Christ died for and calling that person a fool. Well, you're unworthy of Christ's love. That's, that's kind of the intent of how, how Jesus threw that out there. When you call someone a fool, when you call someone like, what you're really saying is, is that person isn't worth the love of Christ. And he's saying, you need to be very careful because that's where you're really, and I think he throws in hell's, you know, hellfire because you're, you're really, you're, you're in it, you're close because you're making some major judgment calls. Loving people means that we, we don't love people based upon our standards, we love people through the eyes of Christ. Our lives have been changed so much. Our lives have been radically changed so much. And, and we're becoming more like Jesus. And we begin to see people the way Jesus sees people. We begin to see their hurt. We begin to look at people and instead of judging them, we kind of look at them and we say, man, you know, the, look where this person has been, the environment in which they've grown up in, and, 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 and you, know, some, you know, some things like that. And you, you take in those things into consideration and, you, and, you, and it, it compels you to love them more. It compels you to draw to them uh, more and, to, and, and to, again, to, to love them as Jesus would love them. That's how we're called to treat people. And they're saying that a church that is filled full of those people is extremely attractive. And let's face it, guys. Man, we live in a society right now that um, doesn't really demonstrate a lot of love if you're not 100% like-minded. It's love that reaches people. We don't argue people into the kingdom of heaven, but we love them into the kingdom of heaven. The other way that we treat people is this. We accept other people. And by accepting them, it means that we're not, you know, we're not spiritual, knobs, or spiritual snobs. It's not like we got it and you don't. We don't confuse acceptance with approval either. And that's another thing that is very, that is very confusing nowadays because people, people will look at us nowadays and if we, don't, 
if we don't approve of something, if we if we look at if, if something's happening within someone else's life and they want to argue about it with us, and we're like, hey man, you know, I just don't I don't approve of that. I accept you, you know. That's it's your you know it's your life. I don't necessarily approve of that. I don't believe that's what the Word of God teaches, and for my life, that's not how I live my life. Nowadays, we can't do that. Because now, approval, acceptance is equated with approval. You either, like, approve of everything or you don't accept someone. It's like, wait a second. I don't, no, that's not, that's not how it is. I can accept you and have, you know, if you have different views of something. I may not approve of them, but that's between me and God. And I'm not looking down on you for that. I just, we may have a different belief in what the Scripture teaches on certain topics. But can we be individuals that learns to accept others even if they don't, even if we don't approve of certain things that they may that they may engage in? Romans fifteen seven says this: Accept one another just as Christ accepted you. So we accept others. We become appreciative of others. This goes a little bit further than just acceptance. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians two thirty five. He says, "Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit." But in humility, consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Here's the key for me, I think, in this verse. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility. Humility. Man, that's a big one, isn't it? Humility. It means that I don't have to be right all the time. It means that I don't have to be right. I don't have to win every argument. I don't have to sit down. You know, we can disagree. You can disagree with me. You can disagree with something. But in humility, I can say, that's okay. That's okay. I don't have to prove myself. My identity doesn't rest upon the shoulders where everybody has to agree with me or whatever. But in humility, I can consider others better than myself. Okay, that's fine. You know, that's fine. So we appreciate others. And we become appreciative of others. We find something within them that we can identify with, that we can like, that we can not, you know, not just accept, you know, you know kind of connect with them. Another point of, 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 of this is affirming other individuals. We can give everybody a lift whenever, whenever we can, right? First Thessalonians, Paul writes in uh, chapter 5, verse 11, encourage one another and build each other up. When people stumble, we don't criticize. We don't just kick them. We don't just say, see, I told you. See, if you would have done it this way, this, it would have been different. Instead of, if they stumble, we don't criticize, but we sympathize. We empathize with somebody. I mean, you know, I, I've heard people, <laughs> I've heard people, knowing that I'm a pastor, they might let out a swear word or something like that, and you've had this, I'm sure happened to you too, when they find out you're a Christian or whatever, and they apologize to you. And, and, I, and I do value that respect, but it's in, in the back of my mind I'm thinking, hey man, I'm not the one you should be apologizing to, you know, or, or someone might say something and they look, you know, they look to me like, I, like, you know, man, I'm just, you know, you know, like I might judge them or something, I'm saying, you know what, and I've told you guys this before, I'm not in the business of judging because I've got a life that I can barely manage myself, let alone trying to manage everybody else's lives, you know what I'm saying? I, there's, judging is judging is something that is completely, it's, we, we've never been called to judge, but we can instead encourage one another. We can, we can connect with someone else. We, we don't have to criticize, but we can empathize. We can encourage them and lift them up. We don't have to complain. We don't have to condemn them. We don't have to be a critical, ju- we don't have to be a critical person or, or, again, a judge. 
all we can do, all we can uh, be towards other individuals at times is just encourage them and come along beside them. So what is God saying through this letter of James? As the worship team comes back and we close uh, with one last song and just uh, connect with God's Spirit as, he, as, as He's moving here this morning. What is God saying to us in James? What is He saying you know, to you and I? One of the things I think He's saying corporately is this. The church that accepts and appreciates and affirms people is the church that God blesses. Now, again, I'm not saying that if someone has wrong doctrine and absolutely wrong theology that we just kind of you know, bring that in and we have to adopt that. I'm not saying that whatsoever. I'm not saying that we have to, um, you know, adopt someone else's theology by any means. But I'm saying there's people that's going to enter in this place that is broken, that's lived in a world that is, that is fallen, that is looking for hope, that's looking for something different, that may have fallen off the wagon again and again and again. They may have fallen off, of some, maybe struggling with something over and over and over again. And instead of receiving condemnation, someone comes in and they receive encouragement. Someone comes in, they receive, they receive this um, uh, maybe sympathy or someone that empathizes with them and prays for them and, and, and again, doesn't approve of what may be going on in their lives. But they can come along and say, hey man, you know, I'm here for you to lift you up and to pray for you. And it's not something that happens accidentally. I think it's something that, that takes a required effort on everyone's part where we are trying to live our lives in a humble, contrite position with God. And that is going to contribute to the atmosphere of a church. And I think James is saying that's the type of church when people come into and they feel loved. That's when the message is going to get communicated to them from God. It was said of the New Testament church, see how they love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you love each other. So we accept, we affirm, we appreciate. Let Jesus break down all the barriers. Let Him be the one that convicts. Let Him be the one that judges. Let Him be the one that draws. Let Him be the one that does what only He can do. Paul writes in Galatians 3, 26 and 27, he says this, For now we are all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. We are no longer Jew, we're no longer Greek, we're no longer slave or free men, or even men or women. Paul says we're all together. We're all one now. We're all the same. There's no distinction in the body of Christ. We're, we're, we're brothers and sisters in Him, in His family. We are one in Christ Jesus. I hope and pray that elements of church, but people come in. And we've, been, we've, been, we've, we've, we've received many compliments about being a loving church. But people come in and they feel accepted. They feel like they don't, you know, they're not held at a different standard or looked down upon or criticized or things like that. And I just want to say, man, let's keep up. Let's keep let's keep up keeping up. Let's keep living in that humble vein where it's like, you know what, it's not up to us to, you know, to do God's job, but God's got that. God's got that. And we can love people. We can Reach out to people. And again, uh, that means that we can, we can connect with them at some point. But I hope and pray that Element is always a church like that. When people come, they don't find a harshness. They don't find an edge. They don't find spirits that are like, well, we've got the corner on everything. Or we've, you know, this is how we do it. Or this is, you know, whatever. But instead, there's a spirit of love. A 
a spirit of tenderness, a spirit that says, man, we're all in this together. We're all on this journey together. Different places, different points, but we're all on this journey together. So I pray that that would be, that's, that would stay in the, in the um, you know, as a core value, as, a, as, the, as the essence of who we are uh, as a church body. So I pray that we would keep keeping that up and even keep growing more into that uh, as God takes and leads us into that, into that area. So as we close with the one last song, I ask that you would just, as always, you allow the spirit to connect with your spirit. God's moving here today. His spirit's moving here today. Uh, the question becomes, are you open to allow him to connect with your spirit? So as we stand, if you stand with me as you stand, I want to lead us into a word of prayer as we close and just pray that you would respond the way God would have you to respond. Father, I thank you so much for, I thank you for Element. I thank you for the people here. I thank you for their hearts. I thank you that we can have huge hearts here that's demonstrated in, in, in various ways. And I pray that you would continue to bless us in that way. I, I, I pray that you would continue to help us to grow and continue to help us to be more loving and even have bigger hearts. And Father, that we would see people through your eyes. That instead of, you know, not letting us or not letting us fall into the trap of judging people, but instead allowing you to do that and just us doing what you've asked us to do and just love people. I pray that you would use us uh, to connect with others. I pray that you would continue to use us to be loving in our community and to the people we work with, to the people we go to school with, to the people that are looking for answers, to the people that are looking for hope, to the people that are looking for healing, to the people that are looking for love, real love, true love. I pray that they would find it, they would see glimpses of that in us and that we would be able to connect with them and allow you to just flow through us and allow them to experience what they're truly, truly looking for, and that's you, the gospel. So I just pray right now that our hearts would be open. I pray that we're you want to encourage us or convict us or stimulate our thinking in a different direction or move us, mobilize us, Father, this would be a time that your spirit would be able to connect with ours and, and, and clearly and distinctly be able to share that message with us. Thank you for this opportunity and I pray that you would just, um, that you have received glory today in all that we've done and said here so far. And it's in the powerful name of your son, Jesus Christ, that we pray these things. Amen.